So turn to Luke 20, and we're going to be finishing Luke 20 this morning, and uh, we're going to get going into 21 just a a little bit. Um, Have you ever heard someone say that all sin is the same in the eyes of God? Yeah, me too. We all have, right? I, I know I have. Um, I really don't know if it's as popular as it used to be, but I think when, we, when I was in college, it was really popular. It was just, it was a, it was a way to, um, I guess, for people to feel united in things. I don't know what it was, but it was a way of, of, of encouraging people, I guess, that were in sin or deep sin, that all sin is the same as it is, as it is in God's eyes. It's all the same. Um, uh, I don't know if it's as popular anymore as it was, but I know it was said a lot back then. It said a lot in small groups. I heard it in small groups. I heard it in Sunday school classes. I heard it in sermons. Um, it was said in counseling, etc. It was all over the place. And at, at first hearing such a statement, um, it, it, it sounds good and sounds sometimes even right. I mean, in, in, in some sense, there is some, there's some true to that. There's something true um, about that because sin is sin. And, and all sin is the same, in a sense, before an infinite and holy God. All sin is transgression before the Lord. It's, it's breaking of His holy law. It's all wickedness. So in some sense, there was some, some truth to that. It was used to comfort sinners in, in ways that we can, in the best intentions, we can understand why. Don't worry. God's not going to single you out. You know, sometimes in Christian circles, one person may say something, and maybe it's a, someone who's popular, and, and then what happens before you know it, it's something that spreads. Um, and, and I think this is one of those statements that one person says, and it might have even been said out of context, like, then it's taken out of context and it, it goes everywhere. Right, and now, now it's used to do things that it really was never intended uh, um, to do. And, and what you'll rarely find is when these, these statements come across Christianity, maybe it's in a song lyric you hear on the radio or something like that, um, rarely will you find someone who has the audacity to say, wait, is that true? Is that, is that right? Does that, does that line up to the, to the scriptures? Hmm. So again, in one sense, sin is not, it's all, it's, in a sense, all the same in the eyes of the Lord because it's, God is, sees it all as wickedness and transgression and iniquity, all needing of atonement. But yet it's not to be used as an excuse. No sin is made light of before God. Nothing of sinfulness is trivialized before the Lord. He had to send his son to die on the cross, to bring about redemption. And yet, this statement is not accurate or completely biblical. And and that's where the danger lies sometimes in in these Christian sayings where we have to be be careful because the Bible shows us in certain places where, where sins and certain sins and sinners will receive a stricter judgment because of the nature of that particular sin or the nature of that sinner. For example... You know, a constant rejection of the Holy Spirit is called blasphemy. 
Another example is, is the greater responsibility that teachers and preachers and elders and pastors will, will, will incur if not rightly handling the word of God before the church and before the world. They will, uh, they will have a stricter judgment than others. And, and that's actually something that Jesus is going to say this morning. Now, in dealing with this, I found it helpful um, looking at the Westminster Larger Catechism. And question 150 asks the same question. Are all transgressions of the law of God equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God? And its answer is, all transgressions of the law of God are not equally heinous, but some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Another example, John 19, 11, Jesus was asked by uh, Pontius Pilate. He said, don't you know that I have the authority to release you or crucify you? And Jesus' response is, you have no authority over me unless it has been given to you by my Father. Do what you have to do, is what he says. He says, do what you have to do, because those who delivered me over have a greater sin. So certainly there are certain sins that are more heinous in the eyes of the Lord than, than others. So what makes a sin more particularly worse heinous than others? And this is leading us up to what we're going to see today. Number one, what makes it worse is, is that if the sinner's sin is against another person and they're using the advantages that they have over a particular person, such as exploiting the weak taking advantage of children, using position and influence over those who don't. That is a particular more heinous sin, right? Including, so again, so those who are weak, widows and orphans, foreigners, all categories that the Bible has laid out as the, the people of God were not to take advantage of but to care for them and to care for them well. There are worse sins than others when, when the person who is committing them fully know God's grace and God's laws and yet still commit them and not repent. And lastly, the circumstances that surround the sin make it worse is that if it was public, and public in a sense where it would lead others to be uh, uh, lead others in the incorrect way, that that person's sin has become a stumbling block to others. God takes sin seriously, and so should we. Now, we, we took time here to, to ask this question and to deal with this question because uh, Jesus shows in the scribes this morning, in this particular passage, that, that they will receive a greater condemnation of judgment. Verse 47. They will receive a greater condemnation of judgment. Why? Because they had a responsibility and a duty to teach the truth, to be humble in that truth, and to lovingly shepherd God's people. But that hasn't been the case. And it hasn't been the case. And throughout Luke's gospel, we see, we see that tension. We see that, 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 uh, um, the arguments, in a sense, between Jesus and the, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders and the Sadducees and the scribes and, and the lawyers. 
and what Jesus is going to do in proclaiming this, uh, um, the, their judgment of receiving a greater condemnation. But in that, Jesus is showing us over and over and over in these guys to beware of their hypocrisy. And it's in that hypocrisy, that umbrella, is why they were going to receive such a stricter judgment, to beware of their fake religion. Fake has become a popular word again these days. Their fake religion. Let's look at Luke 20, and let's read, starting in verse 41. Luke 20, verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord sits at, sit, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And in hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. That's why I got my jacket on this morning. And love greetings in the marketplace. And they take the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts. Who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. So this passage is split up in three distinct sections. And we're going to put them together because I think they're almost one event in succession together. Previously, Luke recorded the, the, the different challenges that Jesus faced and uh, last week, it was the challenge that Jesus was faced on the, the resurrection from the Sadducees. But now we see Jesus going on the offensive. Jesus going on the offensive is awesome, by the way. This is Jesus going on the offensive. The fearlessness of Jesus is on display. We see the fearlessness of Jesus on display. And as we've seen throughout uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus is, is fearless before the Jewish leaders. I mean, there's, and there's something in that fearlessness before them that, that, that we should, as his followers, should not just admire, but, but to live out ourselves. Because at the heart, at the very root of the problem with the scribes, was their fear. Their fear, not of God, but their fear of man. Hypocrisy is rooted in a fear of man. 
And Jesus stands fearless before men, confident and obedient to his Father. Hypocrites do what they do because they, they fear man without a thought of fearing God. What men think of them, what women think of them, means more than what God has said about them or what God uh, 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 thinks of them. God is bigger to them than, is smaller to them, excuse me, than man is. And here are the, the scribes who are, who are to be the, the teachers of the people, the, the, the legal experts. They're the ones that had the authority to teach, right? This is why they came to Jesus in the beginning when he was preaching in the temple and said, hey, what authority do you have to do these things and say these things? Because they thought they were the ones who had the authority, because they were the scribes. And yet Jesus over and over and over shows them that you're not shepherding these people. But in your laws, you're heaping burdens upon them. With your laws, you're just you're heaping burdens upon the, the people while at the same time you are hindering them from seeing the beauty and knowledge of God. Why? For their own personal gain. For their own personal gain. Now this, this past passage often for preachers and pastors is one of those texts that just tugs at the heart. And we, because we too, we like to be seen. We like people to know that we have a real education too. We, we like to have respectable titles and we like to be honored. But these words of rebuke and indictment are not just for preachers and pastors and elders. But these are words for all of us. Because these words about hypocrisy and fake religion are words for all of us. Words for all of us. This isn't just a problem for scribes and Pharisees or pastors, but it is a universal human problem. Before you can prescribe a remedy or treat a problem, much less treat the symptoms, you must diagnose correctly uh, or things can go really wrong. Right? You want a, a doctor... You want a off doctor's office, a hospital, to be able to treat the problem before they start treating the symptoms. You want them to be able to rightly diagnose, and if we don't, and that doesn't happen, then whatever's happening can get a lot worse. And time and time again, this is what Jesus is doing. He's diagnosing the heart. Jesus diagnoses our, he always goes to the heart. And here he diagnoses the disease that is plaguing the scribes. And he does this in that first section, verses 41 through 44. He does this by asking them a very biblical and theological question that as the, the experts of the law should know, this is one that confounded them. Everyone that was listening to Jesus that day, they all would have believed that the Old Testament contained a certain promise that God would send a Messiah. They all believed that. 
and, and, from, and, and that Messiah, though, would come from the line of David. It would come from the line of David. And so Jesus asked the experts to explain Psalm 110.1. Explain it. Which, which clearly says that David is calling the coming Messiah, my Lord. So his question is, how could David be calling his descendant my Lord? Now to us, that's not a big deal. We, we, know, we should know the answer to that. But this was a big problem to them. Because wouldn't it be disrespectful for David to call one of his descendants my Lord? But to us, it's not. But to them, it was a conundrum. How was that, how was that possible? It'd be disrespectful and, and even impossible. And this was something that they could not figure out. And so Jesus is poking this hole in their understanding or their lack of understanding. And obviously the answer is, is that the Messiah must be both David's son and God's son. And that he can be both, and therefore he is David's Lord, born into the great king's line. Now that particular point had, was, was, couldn't, it wasn't even a blip on the radar for them. That couldn't even be a particular possibility. And that's the hole that Jesus is poking a hole in. He's poking a hole in their theology. He's poking a hole in their theology because they could not make sense of the data. And without Jesus, you can't make sense of the Old Testament without him. Because he is God's son born into David's line. They missed it. They studied God's word in, in ignorance, and they couldn't be moved beyond that tradition. They read the scriptures then, then because of that, because they, they missed it. They misread all the data by reading it through political lenses where the Messiah would come, who was reduced to just a, a mere man, kind of like just as one of the judges in the book of Judges, who would just come and deliver them from Rome and all the wickedness and evil in uh, Israel. That's where it came from. And so here's Jesus' first diagnosis. You've missed the whole meaning of the scriptures because you've missed me. Because you've missed me, that the Messiah, the son of David, is also the son of God. And he is the Lord, Yahweh Lord. He is Adonai. That's what David's asking. And this happens to us as well. When we misread the scriptures, when we don't have the, the presupposition of the lordship of Christ, we misread the scriptures, which leads to all kinds of error, including hypocrisy. We, we can sometimes have read the scriptures through an economic lens, which turns every bit of scripture into advice for financial well-being. In the past, it has been, it's been read as into, with racial lenses where they've edited out particular parts of the Bible on ethnic equality. Particular parts of the Bible now are being used in a social justice lens that, that seeks to use the Scripture to, to, to attempt to make everything fall in, in this world right without the gospel, without Christ. And I think one of the worst that has led to all of those is reading the scriptures through the postmodern lens, which subjugates the, the holy scriptures into the individual's authority of 
what does it mean to me? And therefore, that must be what it means. And this happens in churches so often when the, when the text is announced in the congregation that this is what the sermon's going to be and the congregation sits back and waits to hear the message but, but then are disappointed that the text was not even preached or even engaged. And pious as the themes may be as the, the pastor stands up and teaches and yet has nothing to do with the text. And this has a number of hearers now expecting that kind of teaching where now very few walk away disappointed from not hearing the meaning of the text and the message. These lenses blind us from the glory of God's word, which is Christ Jesus. And it moves us right into hypocrisy. And at its core is the root of fake religion. So no wonder Jesus moves right into poking at their hypocrisy. No wonder he moves right in poking at their, their fake religion with this, with this list. The list of walking around in long robes and loving greetings in the marking place and the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor and devouring widows' houses for the pretense of making long prayers. No wonder he is poking at them now. And the reason is, is because hypocrisy is so dangerous. They will receive a greater condemnation. Verse 47. This is the indictment that Jesus is giving us. That there will be greater judgment. You see, the problem with hypocrisy... The problem with hypocrisy is that it makes us think, it makes you think, it makes me think, that we have ourselves covered up. It makes us think that we've, we've got everything squared away when Jesus is showing the reality is that you don't. Is that you really don't. And it blinds us from, from seeing our own need for grace in Christ. It's blinding. It, it blinds us, and then it leads us into justifying ourselves, taking advantage of others, judging them and condemning them. You know, Jesus is so compassionate with sinners, isn't he? He's so compassionate with tax collectors. He's so compassionate with, with prostitutes. But when he's in the presence of hypocrites who pretends not to be sinners and use their uprightness to condemn and take advantage of others, he goes after them hard. Hypocrisy is when there is any attempt to cover ourselves, that is to justify ourselves by our own works, by making ourselves look righteous and to cover up our sin and keeping them hidden from the eyes of others and maybe even believing that we can keep them from the eyes of the Lord. It's looking a certain way. It's pretending to be better. It's pretending to be more religious, more Christian than we really are. It's saying we believe things when we really don't, or at least our, our life does not line up with those things. And one of the main reasons why we do that is, again, the fear of man. 
The fear of man is driving that because we don't want to be rejected. Hypocrisy at its, at its core is fearful of man because we don't want to be rejected by them. So the solution is to cover up, to hide the hurt, to hide the sick, to hide the sores, to hide the sin, and then just fake it. And where does that come from? Not being transformed by the word of God. Not being transformed by the word of God. And hypocrisy doesn't work. I mean, it, it may work on the surface for a while, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work before man, and it doesn't work before God. Have, have you ever noticed those people who, who we all know, they have huge holes in their lives? Huge holes, huge flaws, and even maybe even great sin. And, and yet, they're, they're so quickly to attempt to hide those sins. And one of the ways that they do that is through, through strict and judgmental uh, um, looks or teaching or words or passive-aggressive uh, comments will say, uh, 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 point out the very small things in others. Right? This is the, the pointing out the speck in other people's eyes and yet missing the plank in, in their own. And it's a sad attempt to cover up what is so cold and, and really dead inside. And it doesn't work before man. Because as they're raining down their, their judgment and their condemnation, and they're all along thinking that they're effectively, we're covering it up, we're covering it up, all they're really doing is they're showing us how much they avoided the big and even the small holes in their life. That's all that means. That kind of covering up doesn't work. And even worse, covering up before the Lord never works. And the reason why, because he sees everything. And he knows everything. Therefore, Romans 2 says, You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the, judge, the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you not suppose, O man, you who, ju who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? They won't. They won't. In, in, in chapter 21, right, we get the, we get the, the next passage where, where Jesus looks up and he sees people tithing making their, their tithes and offerings there in the, the temple, and he sees some rich people giving huge amounts of money into the, the bins, into the bins there in the, in the temple. And then in the midst of them is this woman, which happens to be a poor widow. The ones the scribes are attempting to devour. There's this, there's this poor widow, and she gives a remarkably small amount. Take a penny out of your pocket and cut it in half, and that's just about what she was given. And yet, what does Jesus notice? 
What does Jesus see? What does Jesus know? That the rich are giving out of their abundance. But the widow, she's giving everything she has. She's giving every little bit of herself. Now, that's not good news for the hypocrite. Because Jesus is saying, I see this. I know this. I know these things about you. About everyone. Now listen, each and every one of us on some level, some level in our lives, we are a hypocrite. On some level, every one of us are a hypocrite. There are things that we say and we believe and that if under deep scrutiny and deep scrutiny of any one of us, it would show that our lives do not perfectly line up with what we believe. However, as a Christian, we, we must understand that and live out that we can live open to that scrutiny. We can live under that scrutiny because as Christians we should realize that, yeah, I am a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. I've, I've been found out by the Lord. There's nothing hidden before him. That there's nothing hidden before him. And so we live in the, we live in the light of that. But from this passage, we're seeing that Jesus knows and sees all. Nothing is hidden from them. But the difference between Christians and the scribes in this passage, or hypocrites, is that we live by grace. We live by grace in the open and in the light. Not needing to hide anymore, not needing to cover ourselves up anymore. And yet the hypocrites, whether they know it or not, will still just keep practicing their graceless fake religion. Never repenting, never confessing, devouring, devouring others in the wake of their legalism, and frankly experience no joy. So here's the diagnosis of, uh, of Jesus of fake religion is hypocrisy. And the horrible outcome of that great condemnation. So this is the reality of hypocrites, and it's, it's not good. But I want to show you that even in Jesus' harshness, it seems, that there's still hope. In fact, I think he's, he's intentionally coming at them really hard here for a reason. Because the hypocrite has to be caught at hard has to come out hard. There's encouragement for the believer who is fighting the sin of hypocrisy in their, in their heart, and their life, and there's hope for the hypocrite who is still blind. That there's still hope. So, so we can't write off guys like this. We can't write off women like this as, as if there is no hope because that's not true. There's always hope in the gospel. In fact, after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, 
Peter preached this amazing message, uh, and, and 3,000 people came to repentance and trusted in Christ as their Messiah and were baptized that day. Now, did, we, did you know that that included some of the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers that day? The hypocrites came with sinners and repented and trusted in Christ. And so Jesus coming at them hard is showing us that there is a cure to fake religion. It's called the gospel. Close your Bibles, go home. That's the answer. There is a cure. And in the gospel, first, it's knowing that Jesus is Lord. That's what we saw earlier, right? In, in the beginning. That's what he's questioning at. Your problem is your foundation. That's why you're tripping over the cornerstone, because I'm not your cornerstone. You have to see him as Lord, as Messiah, as the Son of God. And the stark contract, contrast that we all should be remembering, in a sense, the, of what about blind Bartimaeus and, and Zacchaeus, these two, these two sinners, right? The stark contrast is they greeted Jesus with complete joy and total devotion, while the scribes, on the other hand, were only interested in playing games. What was the difference? They understood, by God's grace, the foundation of the lordship of Jesus Christ. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Messiah. And when that grips our soul, the example of the widow makes sense. And we give it all. That we, that we give it all, that we render unto Caesar what is Caesar and the things that are God, because what I have is just me, and all of that is God's. When it grips our soul, our worth is not in who we are or what we own, but in Christ. And when we know He is the Lord, then we don't have to worry about pretense. The hypocrisy of pretense and making long extravagant prayers and try to take the seat of honor at the feast and wear the long robe so that we are noticed by all. No. As we saw earlier in Luke, no, we can seat at the back and we wait to be brought forward by the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the only one that can secure our eternal life. He is the only one that can fulfill the promises of God and has fulfilled the promises of God. So therefore it makes living like the widow easy. Because He is Lord. And we can trust in Him. Second, he shows us the, the, the cure. He shows us the cure by showing his, his lordship, but in his lordship we see this attribute of omniscience. We've been, we've been seeing that, that, there's this, that he's all-knowing. The omniscience of God is discouraging to the hypocrite. It's discouraging to the hypocrite. It's encouraging to the believer. It's discouraging to the hypocrite. And he can see that. Jesus shows that by dissecting the, the scribes. I mean, just dissecting them. 
and knowing the widow and knowing the rich, he, he dissects it and shows omniscience of God that he knows that there's no sin in our lives and in our hearts that he does not see or know. So all the hiding, all the pretending, all the faking, all the covering in front of everyone is useless. And it's vanity. It's vanity. It's toiling. It's stuck in the mud. Because God already knows what we are. He already knows what you are. He already knows what, what, what I am. He knows our thoughts and he knows our thinking. And he knows all the little attempts that we have to cover it up. But as the Messiah, as the Messiah, just as God in Genesis provided the righteous covering for the sins of Adam, he gave us his son so that those who come to him he will cover. He will cover. And that no longer do we have to attempt to cover ourselves. No longer need to, to hide and run anymore. He is the only one that can cover you. The shed blood of his son. And if we think that we've got it and that we can cover ourselves, then, then our religion is useless. Our religion is useless. But if we are wholly dependent on Christ and in Christ alone, then our religion is glorious. And it's life-giving. It's life-changing. And it's effective. And it's freeing. And then how that works as being grace-giving and mercy-giving and loving and serving and kind. It, then it works out from there. There's one more cure. Lordship of Christ. We see that it covers us. And third, it frees us from fear. The fear of being known. Fake religion drives itself in fear of being known. But the gospel frees us to be known. The hypocrite says that if I can, if I can just keep my sin from being known, I'll be all right. But if I'm found out, I'm going to be rejected. And we just have to be honest. If you've been in that place, then you know how, you know firsthand how exhausting that position is. That position is exhausting. It's like, it's like running on a treadmill, and, and literally on a treadmill, you, you run miles at a time, depending who you are, and, and you go nowhere. I mean, you're standing in the same place, and, and you, you go nowhere. The only thing that happens is you get, you get exhausted. And, and that's the life of fake religion, It's just exhaustion. And then everybody around you gets exhausted because they get kind of tired of the same things. Everyone gets exhausted, and it's just a, a joyless life. But Jesus is showing and saying, he says, I already know. I already know what's in you. And I'm still saying, come to me, all you are weary, and you're tired of the treadmill, and you're heavy, laden. I will give you rest. Jesus knows. He already knows. In fact, he knew before he even went to the cross. He knew all of our sins. 
He knew all of our insufficient fig leaves that we attempt to cover ourselves before the Lord. He knows all of our hypocrisy and fake religion, and yet he still went to the cross. He knew what was in Peter and loved Peter. He knew what was in Saul, and yet he loved him. He knew what was in Abraham, and he loved him. He knows what's in you, and yet he loves you. He is the lover of our souls, and he draws sinners and hypocrites, and he saves them. This isn't just a straight condemnation of the scribes. This is a call of repentance, that by God's grace, some of them were remembering after Pentecost. I can't imagine what it was like when Peter preached that sermon there in the temple. And there standing together were sinners and hypocrites standing together asking Peter, what must I do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? And then to see them all get baptized together. Those who, who avoided one another now became one. I, I, I couldn't imagine seeing such a thing. But then as I began to think about that, that how amazing that reality is, and I, then I just had to start thinking about us, the church. Because here we are. We're, we're doing the same thing. Sinners and hypocrites still coming together. Still with our problems, still with our sins, still with our hypocrisy, still dragging fig leaves behind us, trying to cover ourselves up at any moment's notice because we don't want to be rejected by others. The same thing. He has redeemed us. He has made us new. And he calls this group the church. Fake religion will have greater condemnation, but his grace and the gospel is the only cure. Again, this passage is not just for preachers or pastors. This isn't just our problem. But hypocrisy is something that any one of us could be guilty of and struggle with. And we... We all want to be well thought of. We all want to be liked. And if we're not careful to truly reckon with what we really are and who we really are, and if we have not pleaded for his mercy and his grace to cover us, then the same outcome could be ours as well. We should often pray, brothers and sisters, to the Lord, show me the holes and the leaks, and the weaknesses. Show me the ways in which I attempt to cover myself up, Lord. And pray that you would repent of that sin. And trust in the righteousness of Christ as being the only righteousness that can cover you before the Lord and before one another. It's the only covering that will work. And this is why we need to hear and to see and to sing the gospel each and every week. Because as sinners and as hypocrites, 
saved by grace, united in Christ, we need to see these things and be reminded of these things. We need the gospel. We need to see the gospel. We need to see the gospel and the gospel's work in every one of us because we're each and every one of us, if in Christ, we are works of his perfect patience, little pictures of God's grace. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And the gospel that is given for the church, that we get to live this out together. Hard, yes. Easy, not really. But remember in our weakness, he is strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the word. We're so thankful for its precision in our hearts. That like a skillful surgeon, your, your word by the Holy Spirit cuts directly where we need to be cut. And shows us in things in our lives, in our hearts, hypocrisies, sins, whatever it may be. The ways that we are attempting to to cover ourselves that are not gospel-related. Lord, I pray that those tendencies would be vanquished. Help us to see victory in our hearts and our lives, the hypocrisies that may be, and we continue to, to press on in the grace of our Lord together as the church, knowing that none of us are perfect. We know none of us are perfect, but we have the joy of knowing who is. And so, Lord, as we have studied this, we look forward together answering these questions together. And may we be encouragement in these next few minutes together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.